Welcome to Adhocracy.tv. Yes. And uh, we are kicking it into full steam ahead. Our goal is to get to 10 episodes. Um, if you're interested in following this, staying up to date, go ahead and navigate to adhocracy.tv. We will be putting together a mailing list so that way you can be up to date on that. We'll also be publishing on YouTube and Spotify. Yeah, and actually through Anchor, so it's going to go to Spotify um, and a few other platforms as well. Okay, so we so. got multiple platforms. At least iTunes. I know that one for sure, and there's a few okay. others in there as well. So, so wherever you find your podcast, you should be able to search for Adhocracy. It, it hits the big ones, yeah. Okay, now I want to recap uh, because Adhocracy is a unique word. What's the definition of Adhocracy? Uh, adhocracy basically means you're making it up as you go along. I think technically that, it's That a... sounds very <laughs> fitting for what we're doing. Yes. I think technically it... Uh, it's a form of government, the like the RISI at the AC at the end, ASI at the end, adhocracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that part of it I think uh, describes a form of government technically. But the yeah. idea of making it up as you go along, I liked ad hoc, and then uh, I saw it written on a board at work where it said adhocracy, and it's okay. yeah, it sounds good. It sounds fitting. Um, I think we got, uh, okay, so we got the where people can find us. Do we have any cadence planned out, really? I think we're aiming for weekly recording, but the publication dates may vary a little bit. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, something that, because when I first started this a while back, that was the big thing I ran into was timing. I was trying to do about once a week, and yep. it, it was okay for a while until summer hit. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we went camping and all of that. So. Yeah, okay. And then um, we also are learning the ropes as far as editing goes and keeping things interesting. So hopefully our cuts are interesting and not totally cringeworthy for the internet. So they probably will be. I hope they it's are, gonna to be, be cring- honest. It's going to be cringe-tastic. <laughs> At least a couple. A couple moments. Should yeah, be... for sure. Um, okay. And uh, today's episode, since it is very uh, pertinent, it is in the news. It is everywhere. You cannot escape it whether you want to or not. It's coming for you. No administration can plan for it, supposedly, <laughs> even though that seemed pretty obvious in the WHO warned about variants coming left and right. But we are talking about nobody's favorite topic, COVID. Omicron. Variant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's a variant? Well, so, yes. Um, a variant is basically when the... When the virus mutates, it anytime you have a significant mutation that escapes kind of what they would consider the standard, which I, in looking into this, I was surprised at how much variation there is even within the variants. Mm-hmm. But basically, when you get a new variant, uh, it's defined by the CDC into one of four um, buckets, um, each of more... Each of them include more, so basically they build on each other, but basically you've got... Bad, super bad... Extra bad. (laughs) Um, It actually, so so variants being monitored, that's like, hey, we're aware of this new variant and it's doing nothing. Like, it's all that we're noticing is that there's there's some new genetic patterns there and that's really about it. It's not causing any kind of concern. Now, a variant of interest is where things start to get more interesting. Mm, Ah, bad joke. Reframing Um, things, all right. So basically, that's where you start to get a little bit of an escape from uh, how it's being uh, treated, um, it's not a significant out. Like it's not a significant uh, escape where the vaccines are getting less effective. Um, and actually, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll finish this and then I'll, I'll go into which variants there are out there right now. But then there gets to a variant of concern, which is what Omicron is, and that's where you get um, a fair amount of impact on how it's diagnosed, um, so you can't diagnose it with the same um, 
diagnostics okay. <laughs> that, that you were using for the previous variants. It has some vaccine escape, the therapeutics or any of the, the medical approaches to it. Now, now when we're saying vaccine escape, are we saying both natural immunity and vaccine escape? Are that, they one in the same? Are there differences? There's differences, but honestly, they're usually pretty minor. Um, okay. As far as the CDC defines it, it's pretty specific towards the vaccine. Um, a lot of what they had on when they categorized these doesn't actually have to do with any of the natural immunity. This is all based on what the medical community is able to prevent um, and treat once the variant or once the, the yeah once a new variant comes out. So Got it. Okay. The natural immunity part of it is not really within the CDC. Um, the what how they classify variants. I right. Say. Okay. It's not how they classify it. Um, and then there's variants of high concern, and that's the ones where. Um, it's like get, the smallpox equivalent. Is that kind of the idea? Like it's, it's, I'm not sure on that, but basically it's, you can't test for it. The vaccine's not working. The standard treatments. So we're, we have we're back are at square working. one, but with more anxiety and yes. all that kind of stuff all over again. Yes. And, and okay. another big piece of this too is, um, transmissibility. So right. like variant of concern, um, that's where it starts to really ramp up on the transmission and the variant of high concern. That's where the transmission is going nuts. So, okay. Um, all that's that's the, where we're talking contagion movie scariness, <laughs> but yeah, potentially yeah, worse or better. We don't know. It's just the it's the unknown side of things. And I'm not sure how they balance between like, hey, this one's esca- escaping the diagnostics, but it's not that, that transmittable. Um, from what I've seen, it seems to t- to favor transmissibility, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure that that's part of the fact that when these come out you don't know exactly what the repercussions are going to be, but you just see it spreading really quickly. Right, because it's kind of like we're, we're doing analysis at a high level after the fact, once you have enough data, but you basically don't want to be patient zero in any one of these situations. Yes. Once, especially once you're talking about variants of concern or significant concern. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing, too, is you can move between them. So typically, I'm assuming you would start at a higher concern and then ramp it down as you learn more about it hmm. um, just to make sure that you're taking the safer approach because you'd rather overcorrect that direction than the other, I'm assuming. Maybe, yeah, maybe within, I would say maybe within the medical ecosystem, they may be doing that internally, but probably not on the what's publicly described to reduce risk of panic too. So there's a yeah, little I'm bit of sure. both, I'm yes. sure. It's a balance. It's a balance. So okay. um, out of the variants that have come out of COVID, there's actually been... Um, 10 variants being monitored. And this was one of the pieces that I found interesting because we've heard a lot about the OG COVID. Uh, Then there was a little bit about alpha Mm -hmm. and then Delta um, went nuts. That one spread pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And then we skipped a bunch of letters. Then we skipped a bunch of letters. um, And some of them were skipped like, um, like the, 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 what was it? The one that shared the president's name, yeah, the, the Chinese. Yeah. They, they skipped that one just to, con- yeah, for political reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it made sense. Like, yeah. I mean, if they'd had a, a Donald variant, they, or, that would have, that would have, if that would have probably or a been Joe, like, yeah, it would have, one, it would have gone through. That yeah, would have, that would have stuck. Through. So that one made sense. Um, despite concerns with China. Anyways, um, there are 10 of these variants being monitored, okay. um, all the way out to Zeta. Uh, there are only, or, and there's no variants of interest, and there's two variants of concern, and that has been Delta and Omicron. Okay, yeah. And there's no variants of high concern at this and point. And Delta, as from what I read, was that Delta seemed to be well covered by vaccination. Yes. And Omicron, uh, it still seems like it's a little bit up in the air. 
However, the indications now that what's interesting to me about this is you have CDC guidance saying get boosted if you've already gotten your two doses, and then you have the WHO saying please rich countries don't boost because we need vaccine supplies globally and we don't need that resource constrained because we at least need to get initial doses into arms. Yeah, and some of this, so, so and, and one piece on Omicron too is that it came from Africa. So there were African countries who were having that exact concern. Right, and that, and that makes sense from uh, both uh, on the ground friends we have that are in Africa, you know, describing, yeah, there's like basically no vaccination. Honestly, for mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of folks out there, COVID isn't really the main concern. Like there are some serious infrastructure problems, uh, health and safety, like just individual safety problems of, you know, you still have local warlords, you still have other problems. And COVID is really not the main living concern for a lot of these people. Agreed. But I mean, you throw it, I mean, anytime you know, you throw another log on the fire, even if it's a smaller log, it's still rough. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, So this came out of Africa, but... um, the reason that it got uh, up to a variant of concern was mostly because of its transmissibility. Yep. Um, and as far as the vaccine effectiveness, that's one where that, that that's kind of an interesting question because if you get boosted, then the vaccine seems to work. But it's it's the same vaccine. It's still, as, it's as still alpha, out, basically, right? It's or, or still the, is, it's still is the alpha, original. Is alpha a variant? or was, Alpha is a variant. Alpha is a variant. Okay, so, so this is original. OG, there's this OG is, COVID, yeah. original gangsta COVID, yeah. and then, there, then there's alpha, and then okay. the big ones are delta and omicron. All right, so, I just want to make sure I get my terms correct here. So when you're getting your third shot, you're getting boosted with the exact same recipe to create the molecule plus whatever our body needs to make it antibodyified. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's a technical non-medical term. Yes, very technical. <laughs> um, so the interesting piece with that is that means that the original vaccine is actually effective, just maybe against less Omicron. But one of the thing, one of the uh, studies that came out of Israel was pointing to the fact that you have a lot of vaccine fall effectiveness fall off at about six months right we're talking so we're talking half-life these antibodies reduce maybe by half after i think i read 60 to 120 ish days the exact numbers are highly variable in there because i don't remember it correctly yeah but basically (laughs) the amount of antibody floating around in your bloodstream presumably decays over time and that kind of makes sense it's like so much of our body it's a user to lose it don't work your muscle you atrophy and And it's in the same way that seems to be the case right and it's the same way for um Natural, like if you've had COVID, if you had the vaccine, both of them taper off. The vaccine seems, from what I've seen, and I know that there's plenty of debate about this, the, the studies I've seen have shown that the vaccine tends to give you a higher um, resistance initially, but it also drops off quicker. Okay. Um, but that's not, none of those were looking at the, I believe it's the T cell. Okay. Is it the T cell? Basically, it's like the difference between RAM and hard and hard drive on right, your Right, the long term and short term memory of. And uh, basically, immune... all of the antibody tests are just measuring your RAM because yeah, they can't correct. really measure yeah. the hard drive. Well, so, no one, no one really wants to have their bone marrow drilled into extract. You know, bones drilled into to extract bone marrow to get those counts. It's not a comfortable procedure for this most folks. This is true. This so, is very true. <laughs> um, although, if you're willing to do that, perhaps consider donating bone marrow. There is a great need for that in our nation. So. Yeah. So. Um, so I'm not sure about saying that this is actually escaping the vaccine. I think that this was ramped up to variant of concern, mostly on transmissibility. Yep. Um, given the fact that you, it does, the vaccine does help against it. Like 
the difference, oh, what was the difference here between um, severe disease? You went, uh, you, with the booster, you get about, you go from 40 to 86% of symptomatic. So that's a good almost 50% chance that if you have the booster, you're less likely to get symptomatic. Okay. Which symptomatic, I mean, you don't want to be symptomatic. I, I don't, because that I, leads I hate to being sick, honestly. Severe disease. And right. The, yeah. the severe disease, um, that bump was actually less. It went from 80 to 98. Um, okay. And that 98, that's a great number. It really is. Um, that's, that, that's a really good number. But also, that, that 80% is still a really good number, too. Oh, so yeah. It, it's infinitely better than zero. So I think we can run away with that information saying, okay, there's there's practical benefit to this thing. Now, have we... There's a lot of people that are still concerned about the, you know, the vaccine's still new. It's untested technology, mm -hmm. uh, blah, blah, blah. I think there's a lot of questions in that department. Um, and I guess I'm not sure how far we want to go down that rabbit hole of addressing mRNA technology being around for quite a while, or perhaps mRNA actually being a more reliable factory mechanism within our bodies because you're giving the exact recipe for the protein rather than having to do the manufacturing outside of your body, having a little bit of variation and then re-injecting the built protein. Yeah. I mean the, the, the MRNA and, and I mean the, the big thing that I've seen is, is not really the, how the vaccine was developed. It's what the vaccine does. It's that spike protein and that mm -hmm. spike protein seems to be messing with people, mm -hmm. regardless of getting it from COVID or the vaccine. It, it, it lingers in the body. Right. They're not exactly sure how long. Now, now that being the said, vaccines, though, there's though, the, 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 I was, I was going to say, there's a certain confirmation. They made a specific change when the designers of the vaccine were doing that, that made it not conform into a sh certain shape that binds into the cells. So it starts out in its initial state, and that's what the body is being trained for. The confirmation is when you have specific problems, and I wonder hmm. what's happening there. Um, and that was one of the big safety things. Um, that was uh, I'll have to look up the source where I got that from. There's an interesting one on MedCram University. That was the guy he was talking about okay. that, and he interviewed an individual on there who's describing all the mechanisms of that and kind of the, the genius behind that one particular modification that they made to make it safer. But yet we still have concerns of myocarditis and pericarditis in young adults. Yes. And I think um, that concern based on, I was just talking to our physician yesterday and he said that concern has panned out to not be nearly as big of a risk in the pediatric realm as they were expecting. So the safety profile is much better than people were expecting, honestly. Yeah, and, and there was concern that came up with that because the, the when they opened the age groups for the vaccines to the 12 to 17, 12 to 17, the teenager group, we'll yeah. just call it the teenagers. Yeah, male teenagers, right? Um, it was the... There was a significant uptick um, mm -hmm. in that exact category, but then uh, what I've been seeing is that on the younger Below that, it didn't continue the trend upward. It actually okay. it actually fell off. So the highest area where you're seeing those incidents of that is in that teenage group for, for boys. Yeah. And then the other news, though, also re re recently is that the vaccine was not producing the benefits in the six-month to two-year-old category. So I think they're having to rejigger the doses on there. And, I haven't and looked and at any of that. So yeah, I think Pfizer-BioNTech, in their study, they said... They kind of hit the brakes on this saying it's actually not producing enough at 
a tenth of the dose of the kid's dose or something like that is a much mm. lower dose from the already lower dose in the pediatric level. So interesting. Um, so I think that that study is going to continue and they will be readjusting dosages and hopefully getting to an effectiveness level. Yeah. But I mean, like as far as the mRNA vaccines, though, one of the huge wins out of that was the fact that you're able to produce it quickly and at large scale, as opposed to the more traditional vaccines. Yeah. That it yeah, takes, a, lot yeah, it takes a long time to grow things in eggs. So when you're looking at a global pandemic that you're not, well, I guess global is wrapped into the word <laughs> pandemic, isn't it? Anyways, when you're looking at that kind of a situation we had, yep. these vaccines truly did save millions of lives when we were figuring out how to treat this disease. Mm-hmm. Yep. So overall, they've been a massive, massive win. Yep. Now, there's definitely going to be, you know, I mean, when you're looking at a global pandemic, there's, there's risks no matter yep. which path you take. And I, I think that the, the mRNA vaccine was was a good path to take. You know, what do we do with it now, now that we know how to treat? Yeah, because it doesn't treat everything. Exactly. Like, it's, it's an amazing technology, but mRNA doesn't solve every medical problem known to man by a long shot. So. And I don't think that the the fall-off of efficacy is something that was expected, like the boosters weren't necessarily expected, mm. th- th- that I'm aware of. I didn't yeah. hear anything about that. I, I, um, I think initially. Israel is actually expecting that a little bit, which is kind of ironic, because I feel like they were <laughs> saying, like, oh, yeah, of course, you need to spread things out a little bit more, and then that gets things into the long-term memory. And yet, here they are doing, you know, what? A massive boosts. Massive boosts. Again, yes. I think they're basically just saying, just, just keep boosting like crazy, because for whatever reason, the benefits outweigh the risks. Now... Um, I've talked to a couple of people. They've gotten their booster shot. Um, my neighbors, they felt like garbage for about a day and a half afterwards. Uh, yeah, I, I that, got boosted. I felt like garbage. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that from a couple of people, but I've also heard, uh, the, you know, from a couple of people that they didn't. So yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Yep. Yeah. And my sample booster... size is just of the folks I've been talking to. So yeah, that's, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. So something that um, <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> what? So no, no, I, I, yeah, okay, I, right. I realized I, I felt like garbage after my second shot of the first vaccine. And I think that that's mostly my fault because I got it too soon after having COVID. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you, yeah. Because you you got COVID. Yeah. And, and your timing and my timing was a little bit ironic. So I'm gonna just maybe throw a little bit of shade to the VA, but I was able to, <laughs> as a regular citizen, get my shot really quickly. You got and, it through the VA? No, 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 no. I and and you on the other hand through oh, the yes. VA. That was it. Yeah. Were substantially delayed in getting your shot, which well, was really shocking to me because I'm like, okay, this whole thing is being like. Defense Production Act, like you'd be figuring like VA has a large percentage of the population that is classified as vulnerable, and yet they were unable to deliver that efficiently. Well, I don't like. know if they would classify the, the, the VA as vulnerable. I mean, I, I realize there's a lot of uh, conditions that people come out of the, mi- the military with, but I mm-hmm. don't know if all of those would be considered immune compromised. Correct. I'm just saying like in general, the, in an aging population, like they're a group oh, that is yes. responsible for managing a wide age range that. of yes. folks. Because yeah, because age age relation to COVID severity was definitely a correct. Thing. Yeah, definitely exactly, a and that was that was something that surprised. So my experience with the VA um, <laughs> situation is right before they opened the vaccine to everybody. Yep. they opened it to the VA like a week before. Okay. Now, in my opinion, the VA was not set up for success on this. I I mean I haven't had I'm I'm not going to give the VA a five star review. Okay. Um, it's, it's an old system that needs a lot of help. But as far as getting the vaccines out to veterans, the VA was not set up for success because you were about to roll it out to every American. And right. it's like we 
tip our hat to the veterans of, hey, we, you guys can get it first. I put in an, uh, a note, I'm like, yes, I'd like to get the vaccine. Yeah. And I'm, I still haven't heard back, so. Okay, yeah, right, right. And then you're, you're able to do this, what, through, um, through that corporate space or uh, regular uh, yeah, yeah, through my work. My work yeah. had an on-site. Um, yeah, and, and but to be honest, though, like, even on the civilian side of things, like, scheduling at a local pharmacy right now is nearly impossible, I think. We're, we're we're right back. I haven't in. Even tried. So so when I went to go schedule mine at uh, the local clinic, it was like, okay, you can either get it December twelfth, December sixteenth, or January twenty eighth. Oh my gosh! And it was like it was it was it was insane, like the amount of lag time in that. And then the same deal. So I like you know I did the same online search that a bunch of other people did, which is like, okay, start spamming the Fred Meyers, the uh, you know the Krogers, whichever your like favorite grocery store, pharmacy, local clinic is, but that has online scheduling and that's been a challenge. My neighbors on the other hand said, Oh yeah, we went to our, the local place down by the airport and that's been super quick every time. So mm-hmm. it seems like it's one of those things. If you know how or who, then you well, can get in and it's just kind of like a matter of technical prowess. I feel like it might, uh, taking it back to early COVID, <laughs> it might be similar to like, uh, the, the, the toilet paper. Yeah. The, the toilet paper crisis I mean, of 2019. If you went to, <laughs> Like Costco, Costco would never have toilet paper. Yeah, but if you went to your mom and pop store, like They'd down totally the road, yeah, there would usually be a whole shelf full. Yeah, and it's just like mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Oh, there's no TP." It's like, yeah. did you try your mom and pop store? Because everybody doesn't even think about them during right. the pandemic. It's like, so I went and bought toilet paper at. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not even a mom and pop store, but just at Bartels here. Yeah, but and, yeah, and that's, yeah, totally. McDaniel's totally stocked up. Tons of tons of material, which was fantastic. They had everything. <laughs> things that Home Depot was sold out of, they had like ju- like hand sanitizer. You remember when that was a scarce resource yes. and people were selling that for like yes. four hundred dollars a bottle? Yes. Like they had, <laughs> they had gallon jugs at McDaniel's. Like oh my like- gosh. <laughs> um. So yeah. So okay. It, so are we at panic in the streets yet with Omicron? No. And honestly, the the more interesting information has come since I've actually did my. I like looking into stuff. I looked into the Omicron pretty early before there was a lot of data on it. Okay. I looked into it a second time. There was a lot more data, and I was pretty confident with what I'd found there. The new big piece of information that's come out that I haven't looked into a lot, but I've seen plenty of news reports on it. Uh, I haven't looked at actual numbers. Is basically Omicron is far less severe. Okay. Which is, I mean, y- y- you never want to hear about a you know a new flavor to the pandemic but if it's going to take a different flavor this is the direction we want it to go you want it to yeah. be so less severe. Can, now, the transmission are, are we at the point where we can just declare this thing endemic and move on with life because we're close. we're we're in heading down opinion, the path like close. right and that's the thing is like these viruses they start out super big bad and oftentimes they evolve to become more adapted to the host that they're trying to infect to yeah, the spread virus the virus. Yeah, doesn't want to die. Right, right. So it needs to spread, and it needs to spread so efficiently and as maximally as possible. And in order to do so, we're talking about um, less severity. Now, this still is a really bad situation for hospitals because even though it's less severe, the increased transmissibility is the big concern from a hospitalization metric. Right. right. But especially because Because we're talking total counts here. That's just yes. like in which I feel like is the only thing we should really be reporting on in the news today, which is like total number of hospital beds that are consumed relative to capacity. And that's like what we care about. We don't care about inf- number of infections. It's not really an interesting metric now. It it we care about capacity. I mean, that's why Hawaii locked down so hard in the summer. That's why uh like you look at these smaller states in like Alaska with like not that much 
no, not that many beds to work with. So something that I found to help because I I totally agree. Um, you know, if if the hospital system is still going to get inundated even with a less severe then those people are going to get burned out and you're still going to see a lot of fatalities because you're not going to have the capacity to be able to treat who you need. So right, right. And what overcapacity means for anyone who's curious is it basically means that there is going to be uh, more patients per nurse, basically. So uh, yeah. unfortunately, like when you're talking about like in the normal capacity, you might have like one nurse for two patients in like a critical care type of situation. Now we're talking about one nurse for five patients. And if that same nurse has to manage oxygen flows and make sure, you know, checking pulses, doing all their, their regular charting and stuff, um, the quality of care will drop. Yes. And at a certain point in time, that's, that's really bad. Um, I mean that that's like, that's what's going to increase fatalities in my opinion, probably more than anything is just people being burned out, not being able to think clearly and effectively. And I think that, you know, uh, the approach of, Having the National Guard help with that—that's mm-hmm. good. I, yeah, you know, yes, I, I see one thousand troops f- for the nation, and it's like, well, that's like what one, one soldier per. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very small percentage, but if they but are able to, but that's the national. Yeah, and so if the states if the states activated as well, that can be a huge help. Yes, um, and that's something that uh, the uh, I've got relatives in Montana, and they, you know, s- certain places in Montana, um, we're we're doing okay, but. Um, the, the, there's other places where the, the capacity on the hospital was, you know, they, they were triaging people. Yeah. Um, so it's a very real concern. Um, so it's, and, and basically at the end of all of this, my, my thought on this is uh, before the, before the, the data on Omicron not being as severe came out, mm-hmm. um, I was actually leaning towards getting boosted. And, oh, and really? I, okay. I've had yeah. COVID. Yep. I've been vaccinated. Yep. Um, you're, so su- I, you're superhuman now. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I got some fat antibodies. We're <laughs> 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 just wait, walking around in my body waiting to beat yeah. up COVID. No, definitely. But, um, the, the, there was a big piece of me that was still even considering getting boosted. Now, with this new, new information, I mean, I don't think I got COVID that bad. I mean, I had it for a while, had it for about 10 days. Mm-hmm. And it was getting more annoying than anything. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. I, I think I might stay away from the booster for now. But well, it almost to me, like in your situation, like me being like playing your role, I would like knowing you already had COVID, you already have that level of antibodies and protection. Then you already got the double whammy of vaccination after that. Like there's no way you don't have a large percentage yep. of antibodies in your body. Like I think that that meets all the criteria of being super vaccinated or super immune or whatever yep. they're calling that. I would be waiting for the next variant of concern or the Omicron what you know vaccine to roll out maybe then after antibodies taper off, you know, based on kind of what we've already talked about. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't be rushing to get a booster right now personally in your category. If I was if I was gonna get a new vaccine against it, um, I would want to get a non mRNA vaccine. Really? Actually. Now, why is that? Um, just because of the fallout. I mean, and, and I don't know. Um, I don't have any real strong data to back this, but the it's mRNA. Gut feel decision kind of thing? Well, it, yeah, because the, the mRNA vaccines seem to have a bit of a fallout. We're not sure what the, kind of the, the long term, you know, if somebody, because we just don't have the data yet. You know, yeah. we have, if somebody got COVID or if somebody got vaccinated and then got COVID two years later. Mm hmm. We don't have that data. COVID hasn't been around that long. Right. Um, so 
if I was going to get a, another boost or a vaccine on this, it would I would want it to be more of the traditional style, which actually there is a new vaccine out, new uh, Novavax. Novavax, okay. Um, I forget uh, where it, what company makes it, but uh, it's Nova new, being it, new and Vax <laughs> being <laughs> vaccine. Yeah, they were really, so it's, uh, they really, really creative on that. this one. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but yeah, if if uh, you know, depending on the type of mandates that come down from the right. state and local and uh, federal, well, I guess it'd be state and federal governments, yep. um, or employers, employers, yeah, um, that's actually the direction that I would lean would probably to be to get more of a traditional vaccine because then you've got the mRNA, you got I've got to have the antibodies from the natural, yeah, fun that I went through of having COVID, and then also getting the more traditional. I mean, that'd be like a yeah, three legs on a stool as far as I'm Now, concerned. have you done any recent reading on the treatments? So we have some new treatments rolling out. That also Man, is good. There's two of them. There's two, yeah. Two Pfizer ones. has one and Merck has one. On top of the the, the monoclonal antibodies that seem mm-hmm. to be doing well as, as well. Now, I think those aren't doing as well against Only Omicron. Only two monoclonal antibodies, I believe, are effective against Omicron. Okay. So... There's um, good. There's still two. There's two that are good, um, and then there are the new pills that are coming out by Merck and Pfizer. Now, I didn't read up on Pfizer's technology, however, I did read up on Merck's, and that one's interesting. You're gonna have to clamp that thing down. I did clamp it. You're gonna have to really crank it down. Oh no. I'm good. I'm good now. I'll just okay. roll with it. All right, sounds good. So the Merck one was interesting to me, and it relies on mutation. And that scares me because what it basically does is it is swapping out the emitted RNA, I believe, from the virus saying like produce more virus and it swaps out like the A's with the T's and it mutates it to a point that it's no longer effective. Now, the downside of that is that also seems to me like it could potentially lead us down a path of creating new variants. So it like tells your car to replicate itself, but with square tires. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's okay. like it's a fair metaphor, and like the idea is that those square tires are so deformed that they are now ineffective. ineffective. Yeah. So it's an incredible, like it really is an incredible advancement. But if you're talking about like, if I were to like weigh the decision of do I want to get COVID and then need this treatment maybe if I get super sick or do I want to get vaccinated and reduce my risk of being sick to begin with, I would certainly pick vaccinate first. Mm. And because that, that treatment, there's a reason why the FDA only authorized that for the at-risk individuals. And that's because I think there's a lot more unknown with that technology of relying on mutation to create you know safety yeah. basically and allow someone's body to then do its thing. Um, afterwards, well, something, something that I've seen too is that, um, the, when you start treating COVID has a real difference on which therapeutics are effective and mm. which aren't. So if you, if you get it early, yeah. then certain, certain ones are much better because, and then yeah, like, 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 the, like end, the Tamiflu, for example, like after you've already had the flu for a while, eh, probably not going to like mm-hmm. slowing down the virus is really not going to like help you once the day, like you're, you're now dealing with like damage damage control at that point yep. in the body so yep. so i mean and and that's where i think a lot of the like that's a nuance right there of, of when you use a certain drug mm-hmm. about how effective it is yep. i mean you you could make that case 
for any of the drugs. You could make it for the vaccine. You could make it for vitamin C. I mean, yep. you could make it. On we, so we should probably also prefix this whole podcast by the statement that neither you nor I are medical professionals. And no. you should honestly talk to your physician who actually <laughs> is board certified and not just yes. reading preprint articles or otherwise. Because like that's what we've if, been, if yeah. we say anything and you want to like take that to the bank or something like don't. honestly don't and <laughs> talk to your physician because they're the ones who are actually in the trenches. They're dealing with things. They're seeing the edge cases. There's so much more to that. This body of knowledge, like we're, we're just like scratching the surface and really going off yes. of what we feel like we can speak to. And even that, um, if, if we make any errors in here, please comment in here, let us know how we're wrong and we can do better next time. Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm very middle of the road on all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I love looking at data. Yeah. Um, like th- th- there was one study that um, got highly touted for a while amongst the kind of the anti-vaccine community of, you know, in England at a certain point there were f- there was like seventy-five percent of all hospitalizations were in vaccinated individuals, mm. and it was it was being pointed out like, look at this, the vaccine's failing, everyone's going to the hospital, but the piece that was missed on all of that when you actually, when I looked at the data, mm-hmm. was the population size that that was coming from. Basically, if you vaccinate enough people and that unvaccinated amount of people is small enough, yeah, just based on sheer statistics, yes, you're going to have more, more vaccinated, vaccinated than unvaccinated that are in the hospital. That's yeah, because it's a functional be. population. Because again, 95%, 88% effectiveness, well, you're still talking somewhere in yeah. between like 12 and 2% of the population that's now still at risk anyways of get catching severe disease. You've just reduced the sample size of who's going to the hospital to begin with. Yes. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's nuance that can be very easily left out and, yep. and, you know, shouted from rooftops pretty easily. Yeah, so, totally. Um, it's always good to look at, you know, if, if you have an eye for numbers, go look at this stuff. Uh, the, the site that we, that I've been pulling a lot from is the, um, Med RX IV. Oh, Med, Med, Med Archive, yeah. Yeah, Med Archive is what is how they want it pronounced, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic site. A lot of preprints, which admittedly with COVID right now, there's gonna be a lot of preprints yep. because there's a lot of information coming out and a lot of. Yeah, uh, and we should probably and, and ex- we should probably explode we should probably explode the definition too of what a preprint is versus what a peer reviewed article is. So preprint, I'll I'll do my best explanation. It is basically like. You have gone through the effort of you've done your study, you've assembled the data, you're now publishing it for the broader scientific community to review, but it uh, and basically it is being prioritized for fast dissemination of information. However, it may not fully be uh, reviewed by your peers, people that are in your same industry that can say, hey, this is correct or that's incorrect or this, you know, the way you sampled this who are, you know, in the same level of expertise as the person publishing it can really provide that level of error correction and all that. And the reason is that we're, we're in a, we have to move fast mode. Yes. Did you know like exactly like how many check marks that that a a preprint has to get before it's Mm -hmm. considered peer reviewed? Nope. That that would be interesting. So with regards to how many checks a piece of, like a, like an article has to get. I, I don't know the information to that. Okay. Um, but I do know that if someone is putting their name, kind of rubber stamping their name on a piece of paper within the scientific community, like your reputation is at stake if you put out the wrong information, if you screw it oh, up. Oh, totally. Like, like you're talking about loss of grants. You're talking about loss of future job prospects. So like screwing it up, even though it's on a preprint, 
is not good press for yes. you or your team. Agreed. So yeah. I think it's one of those things that, yes, while it's preprint and while they specifically say, don't take this as medical advice, I think it is reasonable to say this information is at least good enough that maybe you can make an informed decision on maybe whether or not you should mask up or whether or not you should get vaccinated or things like that because it's operating at sample sizes. And a lot of these are kind of like meta studies of like, here's all these populations. We've assembled the data. Well, there's both in there, yeah. There's, there's, there's totally the I very mean, honestly, precise wh- stuff, wh- too. When I, you know, something that I really don't like is when you see those articles of like, you know, you know, 1,000 people, this thing. And it's like, okay, but 1,000 <laughs> out of how many, you know, like. Right, yeah. The, the, um, you just have to ask the following questions that. Well, and so, so, but what I don't like is they'll always be at the top, you know, the first line, oh, according yeah. to a new study. Mm-hmm. But then that study is never hyperlinked. Yeah. Like when the study is actually hyperlinked, I love it because I oh, yeah, can yeah. click on that. I don't have to read the rest of the article. Right. I can look at the, because if it's a well put but, together but study, then you don't click on the ads. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't yeah. have the twenty slideshow exactly. thing that. You oh, know. I never. And anytime a site is like, click here for the next slide, I'm like, I'm done. I yeah, don't even yeah. care about this. I'm done. I've done it a few but, times. Some of the stories were good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but basically I, you know, the, the, this MetArch site or MetArchive, um, is, is really great. And I, and I love like the, the few news articles that you do see that do trace back to that and you can click on, you can look at it and then you can see what they found from the article and be like, okay, this actually makes sense. Maybe I'll trust this news source more or right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) And there has been a lot on the not side. So at least for me, like, man, I remember during the Trump administration, even like, I couldn't watch a lot of the regular news sites on either side of the political fence. And that's because like they would give me those short synopses where they'd pick the most shocking statement in there. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to end up watching the straight white house press briefing, even though it's boring as I'll get at, but even to get that, the straight information. And even that was not that great. It yeah, was like, you've got the highly, uh, highly hi- politicized. Uh, what are they? Yeah. We'll have the, we'll just call them the spin doctors. Yeah. The spin doctors on either side presenting information, but I at least wanted to get my spin straight from the spinning source. So that's true. Yeah. Because it's very easy to, I mean, th- there were a couple times. I mean, Trump, Trump, I think, was a knucklehead and did a lot of bad things. But there were plenty of times when he would say something, and he he honestly seemed to mean it pretty innocently. Right. When I would actually and then get watch blown the out of proportion. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, blown out. Totally. And that was. I think that's also equally happening now. Oh yeah. Uh, for the Biden administration Joe. right yeah. now, it's like, man, he is like, he's getting roughly the same amount of. Uh, shade thrown at him for not planning the Omicron variant as Trump was for closing down the borders for the travel side of things. And, you know, it's like he couldn't move fast enough, but he couldn't move, you know, like, like there's like, he, he is moving too fast to close things down. That was xenophobic, think, but yet he couldn't move, you know, like, like there's like, I think what's trade-offs. going on is that, that just everybody assumes that your 2020 hindsight should be just as good as the foresight. And yeah, that's and not that's, at all the case. It's not at all. You're working off of it's limited information. It's completely unfair for, right. both, for both of those administrations. And totally. politics, and I mean, politicians, I do think you got to watch them because they're obviously out for re-election and votes and all of that. But yeah. a lot of times with when it comes to this kind of political information, yep. um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I felt like Germany was really fortunate to have uh, Angela Merkel. They're a scientist and a politician altogether, I believe, is what her credentials were. So she was able to navigate um, that with more ease and technical um, technical knowledge and ability to communicate to the public in a way that was more trusted. So I think, for at least for a good period of time, uh, the German population was very appreciative of their prime minister. So 
Hmm. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And so it's good when you have world leaders who are more complicated or more uh, educated than just popular. Correct. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see in our next. I, I'm not sure if we'll get there, but I would love to see some some technicians. <laughs> Think the world's gonna end, Jack. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll get to the having a technical leader with uh, great experience, whether um, you know whether they're a medical person to help reform the medical uh, system, which I think we've seen is at its breaking point in a variety of different ways. Oh yeah. And so I think that's what our nation needs. Is we're gonna need someone with great economic savvy, someone with Political savvy, medical knowledge. It's uh, yeah, well, you I'm not said sure medical. We'll... I was about to say you talking about Elon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the car park uh, <laughs> ventilator thing. How far that ended up going? It seemed to be a. a it was a. I think it was a nice gesture that he was doing, and honestly, it's a really yeah. needed thing at the time when you're like, we only have a few manufacturers that can produce these things. Let's try to do it. And well, I think it was a really good idea for like basic level of ventilator type care, but getting to all the advanced details of that. Like I think you want some more sophisticated machinery. Probably. All right. With that, go ahead and check out adhocracy.tv. Spotify is a great place to find us. A few other places like iTunes. Uh, We'll be putting this up on YouTube as well. 